Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. there and welcome to our next episode with Talking TRM. My name is Bex Stebman. I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030 and today I'm joined by, I'd like to say a good friend of mine because that's the great thing about this this journey I've been on. I've met some really cool people that are now friends. Um, so this is my good friend Simon Crane, owner of SC Risk Consulting um, and I'll let him talk about what he does and the area that he works in. Let's just have a little reminisce of when we met, Simon. So we were talking earlier off screen, and I think it yeah. was 2018? 2018, yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about what you were doing at that time. Uh, so I was working for a company called Global Secure Accreditation at the time, um, developing standards for hotel security, some global standards, um, because there aren't any, basically, um, an area that's not regulated. Um, and I was doing a presentation to, I think it was a BTA event. Oh, yeah, I think it was. Accommodation event. Yeah, accommodation event. Yeah. Um, and after the, the presentation, I got jumped on by you, um, almost literally. <laughs> um, I have a habit of doing that if I, yeah. if I like what you're talking about. Sorry. Well, you changed my life. You see, this was the starting <laughs> point. So I did probably rugby tackle you down, but... For me, and I've talked about this in other episodes, it was this kind of all the way through my career, there's been this sort of nagging question that the corporates or clients or whoever asked me, which is, you know, how is all this vetted? And I've known that it wasn't, you know, the star ratings for hotels doesn't, it, isn't, it doesn't really mean anything. And it means different things in different countries and everyone's operating their own thing. And really it's about features and benefits as opposed to the important things around security. So I was just, you know, after sort of 15 years in this industry, selling a big, um, when I was at HRS, obviously selling a bed bank as well for all intents and purposes, it was just this relief that somebody was actually thinking about this. Um, and it was a great presentation as well. I mean, who doesn't listen to an ex-copper? You just kind of <laughs> command the stage. And I'm giving your stuff away, so I should stop. That's okay. Um, so look, thank you so much for joining us. So we've got um, uh, we've got our viewers online. So obviously we are filming this, but we've also got our audio for our podcast as well. Um, so I'm going to start with the three questions and we'll see how we get on. So okay. firstly, to set you up, hopefully you can do this one with no issue at all, without any too much information, because that's what the second one's about. Um, I'd like to ask, who are you and, and what do you do? Okay, so as Beck said, Simon Crane, and I'm the Managing Director and Founder of uh, SC Risk Consulting. Um, we are a consultancy that helps organisations understand what their strategic risks are um, and puts helps them put in mechanisms to manage those risks. Um, a lot of small to medium organisations are very inward looking um, and look at what goes on day to day, but don't really look at the, the wider geopolitical picture that could affect their supply chains, uh, their future business, um, and that, those areas of you know that they, that they neglect, unfortunately. So we help them with that. Um, we also provide a virtual head of security service, so we can provide a head of security for an organisation rather than having to employ somebody. Um, they've got us at the end of a phone, 24-7-365. 
um, and we can help them with any security based questions that they have. Um, we've written policies for people. You know, we, we do a range of um, services for them. And I've just started another company, um, SC Protective Services Limited, which now provides our, you know, working with SC Risk Consulting now provides a real um, single solution for protective security for our clients. Um, as an example, a travel management company, a high-end travel management company have now got us as a single solution provider for uh, their clients when they travel to the UK. So from, you know, the strategic partnerships that we've built, um, I'm going to talk about smoke and mirrors quite a lot today. There's a lot of, there's a lot of it in, um, in travel risk, in, in risk management, in strategic risk management. Um, in travel management clear, too. Yes, yeah. Um, and I'm very clear that I will never white label and say I can do everything. Um, if I use a strategic partner, and I've got some best in breed strategic partners because my reputation depends on it, um, I will always tell my clients that I'm using a strategic partner. Um, whether that's um, you know, one of the private jet companies we use or ground transport or... Um, QCC Global, which is a, a really good, um, basically bug sweep people. They, they, they sweep offices, homes, yachts, planes. You know, I will always tell a client I'm using them and it's not me doing it. Um, I will arrange it, I'll project manage it, and, and that's, that's my role, but I won't say that I am the jack of all trades and master of none, basically, which is what a lot of people do. So that's what I do. Um, from a, from a day-to-day -day point of view and a really interesting piece that I, you know, I find fascinating. And since I got involved in travel in 2018 is the travel risk management side, um, which is where obviously I'm now positioned with Bex. You are. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm leaning on you all the time for different things. There's just a couple of things I want to pick up there. So first of all, this kind of outsourced security piece Yes. I'm guessing that's kind of really aimed at the kind of SME market, which we talk about a lot at this time. Um, yes. Actually, though, you know, they're, they're kind of understaffed, under-resourced, and a lot of people are wearing hats. So often this idea of a GSOC or security doesn't come until the company is much, much larger. Absolutely. And even then, it's likely that they can't insource that. It's it's a big operation, isn't it, to get it right? So Absolutely. this sort of solution is helping, you know, the SME type corporate as well, which I think is really important. So um, is that right? Yes, and there's a, there's a huge gap in travel management for those organisations as well. Um, yes. You know, as, as you say, multi-hatting within the organisation, um, you know, all the you know up to C-suite level, you know, that they're all doing far too much of of stuff that they shouldn't be doing and. And, and their fire brigade, <clears throat> um, fire brigading at the end of the day, they're you know, putting out fires left, right and centre and, and not really concentrating on one thing where we can give them that focus. You know, we can provide that focus. Just give us the problem, we'll provide you with the solution. Yeah. Um, no, or an, and a number of options for that solution. So. No, it's perfect. Um, and then this, this is the third part that you were talking about where you are kind of providing this, this sort of security solution for corporates. Yeah. I think it's... It's interesting how this piece has evolved. So, you know, companies who have, you know, high risk assets or work in high risk destinations or yeah. want to do that um, are much more, or perhaps, you know, their company itself is quite high risk. You think of some of the sort of social media platforms and, and their, who their leaders are, and, and that's a kind of different look. So those guys are, are really kind of moving forward in this space and, and innovative uh, things being put in place and 
um, I've had you know the opportunity to see some of this stuff and it's it's really interesting but of course not everybody can do that um, right. and if you're going to really kind of delve deep and align with 31030 and some of the other risk management processes yeah. there's a lot of policies there's a lot of processes and someone has to have an understanding of that but what I think there is an opportunity and it sounds like this is something that you're looking at in your field is actually what everyone needs to think about is quite similar it's then tailored for your business so is there a way to kind of bring a package that that kind of helps that so is that is that the right if I got the right idea with what's going uh, on absolutely I mean I think we've, we've spoken before about you know risk management is risk management it's how you apply it to a particular organization or a discipline like travel so there are only so many ways you can manage risk um, and there are you know, lots of frameworks out there that you can use, but there's only so many ways, so many ways you can do it. And the same with protective security. There's only so many ways you can do it. Obviously, there's people innovating all the time, you know, looking at new and emerging threats around you know, cyber and drones, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, those sorts of issues. But um, what people don't <clears throat> and what travel management companies that I've spoken to don't want to do is keep going to different providers to bring all those pieces together. Having someone that can they can just say right this is the problem solve it for me um, is what we're providing and having the consulting side and the protective security side working in tandem you know we can write them policies we can you know we can help them with a, a wide range of services as well as you know, day-to-day protection of their of their principles um, and it's not just high-risk countries you know a lot, a lot of protection goes on in the UK. Um, and protest is obviously quite a big thing now. Um, and you know, one of our latest jobs was was uh, an animal rights based issue. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not just the high risk countries. And, and usually, the operations that got on high risk countries are very good because they're you know they're rehearsed and everyone knows what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. It's the it's the less risky places that people neglect to think about and don't consider in their risk management. Where people aren't expecting it. No, I completely yeah. agree. And I think, you know, we're, we are going through, if you take the UK uh, as an example, but it's obviously US and it's mirrored in other countries across Europe. There's this yeah. kind of feeling of unrest now. You know, we've all lived through this pandemic. Uh, we're, we're, having, we're in a bit in the middle of a recession um, that, that can cause desperate acts. We have had, you know, lone wolf acts of terrorism. There's been a lot that's happened. And in fact, you know, the stand, I-31030 came from some of those London, more recent London attacks and corporates saying, actually, this is bigger than high risk destinations. Because I think you kind of touched on something that I like to kind of talk about. When we talk about um, incident management, we kind of always think of the kind of huge crisis situations, which obviously could be weather or terrorism or or whatever, um, or anything that kind of affects a sort of mass loss of life. Or potential but actually a crisis can also be to an individual yeah, and that's when you really open things up and depending on how that crisis is, ha- is is handled depends on that experience and that ongoing experience for that person so it could be a mental health issue it could be um um you know just involved in a, in a road traffic accident it could yeah. be it could be bigger than that it could be something going on at home which is affecting things you know there's just so much and i think as, as people we're so individual and unique it can feel quite overwhelming when you start looking at it at this level. But actually, as long as you've got a few things in place and people there know how to find it and trust that, it's not actually as difficult as it seems. It's just about thinking about some of this stuff. But what I find... Sorry, go on. So, And and trust is a a great word to use. I mean, that's a trusted provider, someone you know is going to solve that issue if it it becomes an issue um, or can help you you find a solution. Um, And and that's what... 
you know, from a consultant's point of view, you're always putting your arm around the client and saying, oh, okay, I can help you. you know, and, and that's what we do. Um, you do it from your side. I do. And it works together nicely. Yes. Uh, right. So I realised that we've gone on, as I always do, because it's just so interesting to try and sort of dig a bit deeper into some of these things. But let's talk about your why, Simon. What, what motivated you to get into this space? So, as you mentioned, um, I served 30 years in the Metropolitan Police um, and left in 2018 and went straight into a startup global secure accreditation, um, just starting to get into the um, accommodation space um, and looking at um, post-SUS and attacks like that, um, what standards of security of, of, of hotels got. And um, I helped design... Um, the standards for the, the global standards that global secure accreditation now use. Um, I've also since designed the um, service accommodation standards that they use across um, apart hotels all the way down to single apartments um, and adapted those those standards. So started getting into the travel side, realised how nice people in the travel industry are. Uh, went to ITM conference and have never met such a nice bunch of people. Yeah. Um, having come from you know, fairly rugged background with um, with the police. Um, you know, just meeting such an you know, obviously you're very customer focused in the travel industry, and you know that really did come across the way the way everyone was to me, talking to me in in those in those environments. So understood from working then within talking to hotels, going out and seeing hotels, the smoke and mirrors thing really came in. Yeah. Five star does not mean five star security. I can no. tell you that for Definitely nothing. Um, and a lot of what goes on in hotels in terms of security is smoke and mirrors. Um, they will have great global policies um, for some of yeah, some of the big the big hotel groups will have great corporate policies around security and what they expect from their their hotels. But many of them are franchised, um, managed, um, not actually owned by the owned by the entity and the standards security standards in the individual hotels can vary massively even though they've got you know supposedly consistent corporate standards so designing these standards that really set a benchmark against you know corporate being able to say i know that because um this hotel has got this accreditation they've met this level of standard um yeah and and not um unreachable standards you know these were all proportionate to the level of you know we designed the standards so that if you had a security team a dedicated security team they would be at this level if you didn't then the you know, standards are at this level yeah we're, we're not be, they were not unreasonable and then of course um covid hit and all the hotels shut so yeah, unfortunately sometimes. i was i was out of a job um first first and only one i think to go from the company um because I was a contractor, um, yeah, of course. but um, to me too, yeah, yeah. But look at where we are now. So it's I'm a fine. great believer in fate, and um, I got a phone call from an old boss of mine from the Met Police, and he said, "I'm looking for someone. Uh, do you know anybody that might be interested in a job uh, in in Libya?" Um, oh. And he didn't realize he didn't realize I've been very redundant. I said, "Well," he said, "I need someone like you that does the sort of stuff you do." I said, "Well, how about me?" Um, so I ended up, yes that's exactly yeah. what I wanted so I ended up in Libya in Tripoli working on a security sector reform project um, multi-million dollar project and ended up as project director um, wow. and again that brought travel risk very starkly into into light with me um, 
So we were traveling throughout the pandemic. Uh, we started in June 2020. So we were traveling at the height of the pandemic, initially by private aircraft, then charter, um, and also then the security risks within Libya itself. Mm. We talk about high-risk countries. Obviously, Libya is on that high-risk list of countries that you go to. I felt safer in Tripoli, in Martyr Square in Tripoli, than I do in some parts of London. Definitely than I do in some parts of America. Um, so, Why do you think that was, Simon? Um, so it's cultural as much as anything. Um, so the Libyans are a very cosmopolitan country for, for, for um, a Muslim country. They are very Italian influenced. Um, it's got the most um, intact Roman ruins outside of Italy. <clears throat> a beautiful place called Leptis Magna if you ever get a chance to go. Um, I think you used to work in adventure travel. Yeah, Libya used to be a you know, some parts of the Sahara, yeah, the, the mother of lakes down in the south. You know, that there's um, UNESCO, you know, world heritage sites, incredible country. And their, uh, their nature is that they would hate to see harm come to one of their guests or a visitor. So, actually, it's interest rather than anything else in you than. Than the threat. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there you know there are issues in some parts that in some parts of the country we wouldn't go to. The south has become very difficult um, because of the the land borders it has with you know Chad and places like that. So you know as long as you were sensible, and you know obviously we did a lot of risk management <laughs> um, around around our travel, but you could you know we didn't use armored vehicles. We used soft skin vehicles. You know a lot of the um, like the UN and people like that were driving around in big armed vehicles with, you know, in convoys, drawing a lot of attention to themselves. We were in soft skin vehicles, very low profile. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we were working with the Interior Ministry, so we had their protection, um, which you know, obviously goes a long way to help. But you know, it really does, you do need to, I, mean, I think, boots on the ground, understanding the ground truth. Um, I think you'll find a lot of people in travel risk management will talk to you about that, about ground truth. Jim mentioned uh, it, didn't he? I think on his as well. Yeah. yeah. If you read the State Department advice, Foreign Office advice, it's do not go, you know, do not travel, too dangerous. You know, yeah. we didn't find that. You know, our peak, we had 65 UK expats working for us in Libya. We had one minor road traffic accident. And, uh, and, and road traffic accidents are, you know, the usual highest risk in, in most of these countries. Yeah. The standard driving is not good. Um, but and the roads that, aren't that great in all places either, are they? You know, no, no, exactly. And you know, infrastructure and stuff like that. But um, so I did my year in Libya and that really got me thinking about travel risk and how it's not really a recognised discipline. You know, travel risk manager is not a, a recognised discipline. And it's such a powerful position, with a, you know, potentially powerful position within a company. Yeah. You know, you're sending your employees all around the world what are you doing to secure them? And and the what reputational happened? risk, the financial risk, the operational risk, if you get it wrong, are huge. Exactly. So A, why isn't it a profession in its own right? B, why aren't there any qualifications that you can take to to become a travel risk manager? So when I got back from Libya, um, started SC Risk Consulting, and one of the things one of the first things I did, um, I'm a member of the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. And I spoke to them and I said, I want to do, I want to write qualifications in travel risk management. Um, and I've ended up writing the only two off-qual accredited 
qualifications in travel risk management, a level four and a level five qualification. Uh, I, I came into travel late, but I am really enthusiastic about it because I, I see it as such a, an area of risk for companies uh, that they don't consider, uh, especially that SME group that we, we spoke about. It's it's almost, I, I always talk about travel as it's just seen as a means to an end as to what it is that you've got to do and not very much thought is given about to the how. Yes, you might work through an agent or something like that and then there's this sort of big assumption that everything else is somehow taken care of and 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 it, and it isn't because there's got a lot of responsibility that needs to happen on the corporate and, and they just, you can understand when a company grows and you know, the execs travel to begin with and then it, and it kind of goes on. If you don't get these foundations in place, then it, it makes life more difficult later but what I tend to find is that people who are, are moving forward in this area fast is because they've had some sort of experience they know they've yeah. been ill when they've been away and there's been a death. it's, it's yeah. quite dramatic stuff but they then realize that actually they need a plan for some of some of this stuff yeah um, the qualifications piece really excites me I've long said you know travel managers that sort of evolution that they go through um, with a the company they, they may start life as a PA or an EA and a booker um, and eventually they kind of move into those travel yeah. manager roles. But again, you don't see them until the company really hits that kind of large spend or a large kind of corporation or they're operating in different countries. Yeah, It's not a role that it's an opportunity for an outsource, though. Again, I think very, very similarly to the security role. But this idea of a merger, of a yeah. travel risk management role, does yeah. that, you know, that just makes so much more sense to me. And often, you know, I see it again and again and again that risk management and travel are in complete silos. Travel isn't often even managed directly. It's maybe via procurement or finance for different yeah. reasons. Um, and no one's kind of looking at the bigger picture, which is what travel risk management is telling us to do and asking, well, telling us how to do, I think. Yeah, well. And I think there's, there's always been a perception that a travel risk manager will stop you traveling. Yeah. Uh, whereas, where actually, if you look at the risks around it, could open up opportunities. Um, you know, I've spoken to some companies that describe war zones as emerging markets, um, which they are. Um, you know, and, and post-conflict areas are you know massive areas for development and uh, massive areas for sales. So you would want your Sales, sales staff, your um, your engineers, all those sorts of people who don't usually operate in those environments, going to places like that. But the travel manager will just make sure they do it safely rather than stopping them. Um, and it may be that you wouldn't have considered sending this to some places like Libya. Um, and I can tell you, you know, there are certainly there are places now in Libya where you can operate absolutely safely. Yeah. Um, so a travel risk manager can be. As much of a benefit as, as people think they're, they're a hindrance um, and, and, and risk management is always considered a hindrance but it's not actually it can open opportunities. Um, it's all about the perception isn't it and it's all really about I think that kind of exec buy-in at the top see it as an opportunity and then yeah. how that's kind of pulled down. Okay right so finally I just want to share um, with well you two are to, to share with our listeners your golden yeah. nugget so people who are maybe getting into this this space What's yeah. your, what's, what, what would you say to them? So my, my big thing is always communication um, and simple and consistent communication across your organization. So talk to your travelers, you know, understand your travelers, talk to your C-suite um, and please make sure that all your policies apply to everybody, C-suite included, um, because they're, obviously, they're, they're usually the worst offenders of, of going outside of, of the plan. The, the ISO um, 
31030 makes it very clear that domestic travel is as important as international travel. I mean, you send someone from, you know, a small village in North Yorkshire to Hackney in London on business, you know, they need to be forewarned as to what the environment they're, they're walking into. Um, or Stoke Newington, Broadwater Farm, anywhere like that in, in London. Um, you know, so it's not just about international travel to high-risk countries. It's those other areas that people neglect um, that can still cause problems. Agree so much. And, you know, and then take that to the next level. So that some of these kind of, I don't know, cooler companies that then want to do big events in some of these places. And don't get me wrong, Stoke Newington is wicked <laughs> for yeah. a night out. But do you want to take 200 staff there and then ply them with alcohol and then just let them go into London? So it's, it's there's so much to think about in this side of it, isn't it? And it, and it, sounds, it sometimes feels like, excuse the pun, but the fun police um, have come in. But it's not about that. You can do these things like you've just proved, you know, you can spend a year in Libya and some of these other countries. I think it's so interesting what you say about the people there that's always been my experience when I've been to sort of slightly higher risk destinations there's almost a gratitude that you've you've come yes. um and they want to show you the best of it but of course like anything it's just you know these these isolated incidences can yeah. and can happen and but they happen here yeah. um and we are so less prepared here yes, um, and and like I say it's not just about these incidents it's about mental health and other things as yeah. well well look Simon Thank you so much for your time. As always, there's just so much more we can talk about. I'm really looking forward to hearing this one back. Um, thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for all these qualifications. We look forward to hearing more about that. Um, and I will see you soon. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. This has been Simon Crane and Bex Dedman on Talking TRM, our podcast around travel risk management. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a Scent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.